Well, good morning. Thank you again for being here with us at River Oaks today. It is so great to have you here. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. Um, I want to mention just a couple of things before we get into our message today. The first is that the Forsyth Jail and Prison Ministry training that was scheduled for this afternoon to be held here at our church has been postponed. The Forsyth Jail and Prison Ministry decided to postpone it till a, a day in March uh, in light of potential uh, bad weather this weekend. So we'll, we'll let you know when that's coming up again. We are going to be having our Discover Rock class beginning February the 6th, two Sundays from today. This is for those of you who are relatively new to our church, want to learn more about getting involved, getting connected, various ministries. It's also a path to membership. If you'd like to become a member of River Oaks, we do ask that you register in advance for that. And again, that begins two weeks from today. It'll be held during this service in our community room, which is outside the doors to my right. Well, we're talking this month about prayer, how to pray. And I think it's fitting this week and light of the holiday this past Monday to begin with a quote on prayer uh, by Martin Luther King Jr. who said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer should be a, a natural part of the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit has brought us into an eternal life-giving relationship with us and the Holy Spirit indwells us and the Holy Spirit enables us to pray and teaches us to pray. So in a way, prayer should be somewhat like breathing for a believer. But God knows we all need help with prayer. And um, the Apostle Paul himself said, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us. And one of the ways he helps us is by illumining our minds to what is taught in the scripture. And there's a lot taught in the scripture about prayer. Jesus' most foundational teaching on prayer is found right in the middle of his best-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of this sermon, Jesus says the words that you will see on the screen, found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. He said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Would you join me as we pray once again? Father, we approach your holy word, that which you have inspired and given to us to teach us, to change us, to equip us for righteousness. 
Lord, would you guide us now? Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of our law? And Lord, shape us, teach us, guide us, so that when we leave here today, we will know you better, and we will love you more, and we will be more fully equipped for life of joy-filled, faith-empowered, effective prayer. And we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Just a little review of this passage. Jesus began by teaching us how not to pray. He said, first of all, don't be like the religious hypocrites. They like to be seen. They like to be heard. This is a reminder to us not to worry so much what others think about you when you pray. Let your prayer simply be a conversation between you and God. People I've talked to over the years who struggle with praying with another person typically have concerns over what others are going to think about the way they sound when they pray. <clears throat> Put those thoughts aside. Think of your prayer as a conversation with God. Years ago, I read a story by Brennan Manning who had received a phone call from a woman whose dad was in the hospital uh, very close to the point of death. And her dad, who was not near his church home, requested that a minister would come and visit him. So this woman called Brennan Manning. He went to visit the dying man, and he, and he said to him, uh, the man in the bed said, Reverend, I, I've, I've got a question, and I just want to ask a minister. Years ago, someone told me that I should think of my prayer life as, as a conversation, an intimate conversation with the Lord. And so what I've done for years, I've just pulled up an empty chair and imagined God right there in the room with me. And I just need to know, is that okay? Brennan Manning said, not only do I think it's okay, but I think it pleases the Lord that you would consider your prayer life uh, in this way, as conversation with him like that. A few days later, the woman who had initiated uh, contact, who had made the call, called back Brennan Manning and said, thank you for visiting my dad. Um, he died last night. And it was most interesting the way they found him. There was a chair pulled up beside his bed, and he was leaning out of the bed with his head in the chair. A reminder that God calls us to communicate with him don't be like the religious hypocrites, so worried about sounding religious when they pray. Further, Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles who like to heap up empty phrases thinking God will give them what they need if they use the right words. Don't use that type of superstition when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the superstitious. Then Jesus tells us how to pray. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Jesus is here anticipating the work he would do on the cross, purchasing our salvation, enabling us to call God Father, our Father who art in heaven. We can call him our Father, but at the same time, we don't lose the reverence. Hallowed be your name, which means may your name be regarded as holy. In the second category of the prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for the work of God to be done in our lives, in the lives of others, in our world. And then last week, we looked at the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about praying for God to give us the things that we need. Today, we move to the point in this model prayer 
that I think will initiate some questions. And by the way, um, I mentioned this uh, last week when we were online only because of the weather, that if you have a question about prayer and would like to submit it next week, I'll try to particularly deal with, with some of those questions uh, uh, regarding answered, unanswered prayer, seeming, seeming unanswered prayer, for example. Now today, we move into the next category of prayer in which Jesus calls us to regularly confess our sins. He says, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And I stress regularly confess because he has said just in the verse prior to this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think this is a prayer that Christians are to pray frequently. This is one reason I think this model prayer Jesus has given that we often call the Lord's Prayer is probably better referred to as the disciples' prayer because Jesus himself would never have prayed these words, forgive us our debts, because he himself never sinned. He had no sins to confess, as the Scripture tells us. So how do we properly confess our sins? How do we go about that regularly, daily? First of all, I think it involves recognizing what sin is. Sometimes we only consider sin big sins, glaring sins, things like stealing or lying, committing adultery, something like that. But I think the closer we grow to God in our relationship with Him, more clearly the Holy Spirit seems to point out to us sins of attitude, sins of the heart, things like jealousy, uh, resentment of others, uh, covetousness, failure to love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, failure to love our neighbors, ourself. We never outgrow our need to say, search my heart, God, as the psalm says, Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Begins with recognition. Confession also includes repentance. Confession of sin must be sincere. We don't come to God and say, God, forgive me for what I did last night. I plan to do it again tonight, but I'll come back tomorrow and confess again. We don't mock God's mercy in that way. Confession of sin needs to be sincere. We come to God with genuine sorrow for sin. And someone might ask, but don't we still stumble in sin? Yes, we do. But we don't will to stumble. We don't make a mockery of God's mercy by using this as some kind of formula that lets us go back and keep sinning. We come with sincere repentance. And then thirdly, receive. Recognize, repent, receive. I think one of the most beautiful verses of assurance in the whole Bible is the one you see on the screen. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Note the emphasis here. We confess, but God is the one who is faithful and just. And He's just because in His great justice He let our judgment fall on Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the way, the Apostle John who wrote this verse is writing to believers. He's writing to, to Christians here. Now, Jesus can, tells us, 
Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our, our trespasses or forgive us our debts. But there's a second part to this uh, verse, isn't there? As we also have forgiven others. This gets to what I think is the very hard part of the model prayer. Jesus links our receiving of forgiveness to our commitment to forgiving other people. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven others. This is the only category in this model prayer that Jesus gives that he expounds on further. In verse 14, the end of the prayer, the model prayer that we often call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus continues on the subject and he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. I've thought about this verse a lot over the years. Frankly, frankly, it feels a little troubling to read those words. Because it raises a question. Can you lose your salvation if you don't forgive somebody? What if somebody does something that's so hurtful? I mean, really hurtful. Takes a life of your, your spouse or one of your children. I mean, you've been a Christian for years, but what if you can't forgive something like that? Does that mean you lose your salvation? I don't think it means that. I don't. I think we must distinguish between saving forgiveness and restorative forgiveness. Jesus purchased our salvation. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came to this life, died on the cross, shed His blood, freely given to those who simply place their faith in Him, and by grace through faith, we are saved, we are regenerated, we are united to God through the Holy Spirit because He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. We are adopted by God. And by our failure to do good works or our doing of bad works, we don't get unadopted or unregenerated. God holds us in his hand so that no one is able to pluck us out of his hand. This saving forgiveness, in my understanding, makes the believer secure. But there is a restorative forgiveness, and by restorative, I mean restorative of our fellowship with God. And for a believer to deliberately refuse to forgive an offense against another, a believer who has received saving forgiveness from God is a serious offense against the Lord and it mars and hinders our fellowship with him. Now, Jesus gave an extensive teaching about this and he told a parable about this in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35. The apostle Peter had come to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? Up to seven and I forgive him. Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I say to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Implying you never stop. And he tells this parable. He said there was a certain king. 
And he called his servants to give an accounting their work. And there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, the footnote of my Bible says that one talent, one talent is 6,000 denarii. Denarii in Jesus' time was a typical day's wage for a laborer. So a day's wage times 6,000, that's one talent. This servant's debt was 10,000 talents. Now, that's obviously a ridiculous amount. No servant could ever accumulate a debt like that. And it is intended to sound impossible because it refers in Jesus' teaching, I believe, to our sin debt. This servant said to the master, Lord, forgive me and I'll I'll pay you back. Have pity on me. The Lord forgave him the entire debt. That is the master, the king, forgave him the entire debt. But the servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him him a hundred denarii. That's not an insignificant amount of money. But he took that servant, began to choke him and said, pay back what you owe. And he said the same words that the first servant had said to the master, Forgive me, I'll pay you back. But he did not have pity upon him. Had him arrested, taken away. Well, the master, the king, who forgave the first servant, he heard about this lack of mercy on the part of the one he had forgiven the 10,000 talent debt. And he said, give him over to the jailers. And then Jesus said something very, very sobering in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Forgive your brother from the heart. I think it's one of his most sobering parables. And it's a, it's a dire warning to those who've received the 10,000 talent forgiveness of the need to forgive wrongs committed against us. We've got to remember one thing. Jesus' forgiveness provided for us on the cross we put our faith in him. This 10,000 talent wiping clean of our, our slate. It is eternal. All of the offenses committed against us are in this life and this life only. This little speck that we spend on this earth, whether 70, 80, 90, or 100 years, those offenses are in this life only. Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' acceptance, his adoption, It is eternal. It's for all of eternity. Jesus calls believers because of what he's done for us to forgive those who wrong us. Now, it's costly. It's costly for a Christian not to forgive others. And I want to give you what I think the scripture teaches are some of the dangers of unforgiveness for a Christian. The first one, I think, is hindered prayer. In another of his teachings, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And again, he's obviously talking to people who are believers, who believe in him. It also reminds us, I think, of the need for regular, ongoing, frequent forgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. This is to be a regular part, ongoing part of our lives of prayer, searching our hearts, being sure we've forgiven any who have wronged us. A failure to do that, I think, can hinder the effectiveness of our prayer lives. And Jesus links the two right here. 
Furthermore, dangers of unforgiveness for a Christian, bitterness of the soul. The writer of Hebrews says, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. A resentment held on to for a long time can develop into a root of bitterness. And you know, when you're bitter towards someone, it hurts you more than it hurts them. A root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble to the one who is bitter. And then thirdly, the dangers of unforgiveness for a Christian, giving a foothold to the devil. In Ephesians, Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, deal with the issues that cause you to be angry. Do it rightly, do it properly, do it without sin, and do it promptly. Do it frequently. In fact, don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is one that we would do, those of us who are married would do well to apply in marriages. Hard, but... God calls us to do it. He goes on to say, Paul, in this same passage, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Is God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another the way God's forgiven you. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way God forgave us, that's to frame our thinking about forgiveness toward others. We forgive others the way God forgave us. He forgave us not because we were worthy, not because we were deserving. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The 10,000 talent debt has been removed and we're to show that toward others. I've known Christians over the years, people that I'm sure truly had a relationship with Jesus Christ that have absolutely refused to forgive someone else. I remember a man who, it almost seemed like he lived under some kind of a curse. Um, and he, I was talking with him on the phone. This is not, nobody in our church. Uh, long ago, he, he recounted how a man had cost him his job, and he'd never done well financially since. And as we talked, I could hear in his voice, in his words, absolute hatred for that man. Absolute He was just absolutely not going to forgive him. And that root of bitterness, I think, had proven very, very costly in his own life something we've, we've got to be aware of in our own souls. Now, let me say something here that I think is really, really important to understand. There are very different degrees of offense, things that people do against us, things people do to hurt us, and greatly varying degrees of difficulty in forgiving others. And I want to be sensitive to that and mindful of that. It is, it is much easier to forgive someone who cuts you off in traffic or breaks in, in, in line in front of you at the grocery store 
than to forgive someone who severely damages your reputation with a false accusation. It is much easier to forgive someone who overcharges you for work they do in your house and does a bad job than it is a drunken driver who takes a life of your child. There is a vast difference in being able to forgive one and being able to forgive the other. And I want to be very sensitive to that because I've known a number of people over the years, wonderful Christians who have had things done to them that are so horrifically hurtful that I can understand that it would be incredibly, incredibly difficult to forgive. And so I want to I suggest some ways to forgive, to fulfill Jesus' mandate, and it is a mandate, to forgive others as we've been forgiven by God. But I want to bear in mind there are great, great degrees of difficulty in doing that. Number one, cultivate quick forgiveness whenever possible. Again, Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive if you've got anyone against anyone. This implies frequent searching of the heart, frequent forgiveness. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with these things quickly as much as is possible. And I'll say it again, in marriage, that let not the sun go down on your anger is particularly uh, challenging, but is particularly valuable and important. Number two, Pray for the offender. Nothing changes our own hearts toward another person, difficult person, like praying for that person. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for God to work in them by the Holy Spirit, the person that offends you, the person that harms you, the person that bothers you. Pray for them. If Satan keeps bringing their offense to your mind and filling you with anger, use that as a prompt to pray for God's blessing in their lives. Number three, process things in light of the gospel. Consider the forgiveness that you have received. Remember what the Son of God did for you by coming to this earth and giving his life on the cross where he bore the judgment for your sin. Consider the eternal forgiveness, the eternal acceptance with God, that for all of eternity we live before our holy God without condemnation or fear of rejection because of the completeness of what Jesus has done. The 10,000 talent debt has been removed. And again, offenses against us are limited to this life only. Hurt is limited to this life only. Jesus' forgiveness is eternal. Our forgiveness lasts forever. Process these things that are done to you in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Number four, rely on God's grace to enable you to forgive. Everything God calls us to do, he enables us to do by his grace. Jesus does not expect us to work up another resolve and mere human willpower to be able to obey all of his commandments, like love one another, forgive as you've been forgiven. In fact, he says, apart from me, you can do 
Nothing. Nothing. Rely on the grace of God. As God said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. There's a time to say, God, I am so weak. I so need your help. I so need your grace. By faith, I draw upon your grace to enable me to do this. Number five, forgive by faith without being dependent on feelings. When you just cannot forgive someone, when the resentment keeps coming back to mind, there's a time to say, God, I, I want to obey you. And I, I, I forgive this person by faith. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. God, please change my feelings, but I want to obey you. And so I just, I say the words, I take the step, I forgive this person, I pray you'd work in them, I pray you'd bless them. Lord, would you please work in me to change my feelings, to remove the feelings of anger and vengeance and even hatred. And then finally, remember that some things, some things require time, counsel, and the support of others. I think of a pastor friend whose teenage son not long ago was walking through a park unprovoked in any way. Three young men beat him brutally, not to death, but absolutely brutally, completely unprovoked. I read his account of this and I go, wow. How could you forgive? I mean, it made me so angry just to read about it. You hear about anything, innocent, you know, things like this done to innocent people. It just causes tremendous grief and anger. But especially if it's your own child or spouse or brother or sister, how do you, how do you forgive? Some things... Some things require help, not only from God, but from God's people. A gifted, godly Christian counselor, uh, the support of loving friends who can help pray you to that point. Time, frankly. You know, when I say culti cultivate quick forgiveness, you know, don't let the sun go down, something like that. I think it's a bit unrealistic to think it can be dealt with in 24 hours. And it requires time, counsel, the support of others. For some things, a Christian says, um, Lord, you know I love you. You know I want to obey you. I want to do what you say do. But God, I need your help. And with your help, in time, I will get there. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And when you stand praying, forgive. Let's pray about that, shall we? Father, how we need the help of the Holy Spirit in this area. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for removing the 10,000 talent debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. You paid a debt 
you did not owe. You washed our sins away, and we give you thanks. Pray for anyone here today or anyone watching online who has never received your forgiveness for their sins by putting faith in what you did on the cross, Lord. Bring that person by the power of the Holy Spirit today to humbly come and put their faith in you. Lord, for others here, Christians, who are holding some resentment against a family member, a co-worker, someone who's harmed them, someone who's harmed a loved one, please pour out your healing grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to enable us by faith to forgive and to receive your healing grace. Help us with this one, Lord. It is difficult for us. Help us, please, we ask. And thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' holy name, amen.